fear, your grace should fall. For fear, tonight is all under this moonlight, this serious moonlight. This is Baron Vaughn. Welcome to Deep Shit. Hey, guys. It is a time. Um, some indeterminate time. Uh, I think indeterminate is supposed to be used for the amount of time, but not the time of day. I'm not going to tell you the time of day. Um, except for the fact that it's midnight right now while I'm recording this, and that's fine. Uh, these things happen. I had an interesting weekend. I had the opportunity to be on a, I'd say, semi-game show called Werewolf. Now, if you guys don't know the game Werewolf, it's a variation of the game Mafia. Some of you have probably played Mafia or werewolf under that name at a party or something like that well some people over at fox decided to make it a game show it's somewhere like a game show panel hybrid because the people that play the game are kind of personalities some comedians on my show that i recorded my friend michelle buteau was on there um allison hayslip of attack of the show was on there adam sandwich adam sandwich Holy shit, guys. Adam Sandwich. No one is named Adam Sandwich. Maybe someone is named Adam Sandwich, but I don't know that person. And they definitely weren't on the game show Werewolf with me. But my brain, my brain just revealed to me my innermost, deepest desire that I want a sandwich. That when I went to say the word savage, my brain was like savage, savages. What's a savage? A savage is a thing that is in the woods, in the forest, in nature, eating, hunting, hunting for something. What do they hunt for? What the Food. And, you know, they want to eat. They want to eat. What's the, what's the most delicious food? What's the most delicious bird that's walking around? Ah, the sandwich. That's what my brain just did. Adam Sandwich, guys, I am so happy with myself right now. I don't understand how that happened. I don't understand, but I'm I'm going with it. Adam Savage of Mythbusters. That's who I meant to say. James Urbaniak as well. The voice of Dr. Venture. Um, a guy who's kind of weirdly becoming a friend because we keep running into each other in strange places. Anyway. I was supposed to be in South Korea right now doing this podcast from South Korea or at least recording things in South Korea to bring back to you for your listening pleasure. But instead, I was requested to be on this show and I decided I would stay to do it because it sounded interesting and it is fucking stressful, guys. Fucking stressful. I thought it was going to be fun, but I didn't know that a lot of these people who have played this game a lot are such intense fucking players. <sighs> Stressful, guys. I'm like, I, I legally cannot tell you what happened. But you'll see. It'll be on at some point. No idea. I hope they air it around thank Thanksgiving. Halloween. Halloween is what I meant. Jeez. Look at that. Turkey. I, I, I went from a, a holiday that's about scaring people and, and candy to an eating holiday again. Eating holiday. It's like I'm Adam Sandwich or something. <laughs> I am tickled pink. Well, not pink because I'm black. I am tickled 
a indiscernible dark purplish color. <laughs> That's what I am tickled. Adam Sandwich. That sound is me hitting my leg in disbelief that I said Adam Sandwich. Anyway, I am going to go to South Korea. It's not going to happen until November, but it will happen, and I will be there doing my comedy jokes and bits for this incredible English-speaking stand-up comedy scene that has sprung up in Seoul. It's super bad. Uh, started by two Americans and a Canadian dude. A newfie, I was told, for any Canadian listeners. A newfie, which means uh, someone from Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Anyway, that doesn't matter. So anyway, today's guest is Johnny Pemberton. Johnny Pemberton, who is a good friend, a hilarious comedian, great actor. You may recognize him from his roles in movies like 21 Jump Street or This Is 40 or The Watch. I'm glad that The Watch didn't have a number in it because he's only in movies that have numbers in it. But Johnny is a very funny comedian and uh, actor and podcaster that I met around that I like a lot. He has a podcast called Twisting the Wind on Feral Audio uh, that you can listen to. I did an episode of it, and it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Well, I just don't. I just it's like a Madam Sandwich over here, <laughs> like a Madam Sandwich in high school. It's just trying to fit in, trying to fit in with all the other finger foods. <laughs> Oh, there goes David Condiment. <gasps> Did David Condiment look my way? Man, I want David Condiment to think that I'm cool. <gasps> there goes Kelly Mustard. Ooh, Kelly Mustard. I want to get all up in them seats. <laughs> Holy crap. I don't know what the hell is going on. Yes, Johnny Pemberton. That's what I'm talking about. Speaking of not knowing what the hell is going on, Johnny Pemberton's subject was belonging. Just the idea of how do you find the place? that you belong in. How does being an outcast or feeling that you're an outcast or left out, what does that push you toward? And in Johnny's case, comedy, acting, you'll hear right here on Deep Shed. Um, speaking of other podcasts, I encourage you wholeheartedly to listen to some of the other podcasts in the catalog of the All Things Comedy Network. I'm going to point to one in specific, Jake This with Jake Johansson. Jake This of Jake Johansson is the name of the podcast officially. Uh, Jake Johansson I met recently in Indianapolis. We were aware of each other because of Twitter and because of the All Things Comedy Network. I am a gigantic Jake Johansson fan. I think he is... One of the maybe most brilliant comedians ever. Uh, a very high praise, but I think he is. Um, if you do not know who Jake Johansson is, why don't you go check out one of his, one of his 42 appearances on Late Night with David Letterman. Um, incredible, this guy. Uh, uh, such an organic comedian, a real, uh, just a real comedian. You know, and when I say organic, I mean that there's there's nothing about him that feels forced to me. That's the way I use to describe Jackie Cation as well, that she's a very organic comedian. I say the same thing about Jake Johansson. They are just talking, but they're talking in joke form. Anyway, check out Jake this. 
Jake, uh, Jake, this of Jake Johansson. Um, check out the Bone Zone. Check out uh, the Tom Rhodes radio program. Is that what it's called? I don't think that's what it's called. <laughs> check out the Naughty Show. Check out your mom's house. Check out Walking the Room, guys. Check out Bill Burr's Monday Morning Podcast. Uh, I ran into Bill Burr's fiance, Nia Renee Hill, the other day at an audition. Haven't seen Nia in a long time. Nia and I uh, go way back, way back before I even knew that she was with Bill. She was with Bill when I met her, but I did not know that. I knew who Bill was. He wasn't as famous as he is now, but there was nobody in New York that wasn't taking Bill Burr seriously. And, uh, yeah, so we're friends, you know. Um, I'll be honest, I don't really hang out with her that much because she's Bill Burr's fiance. Because I don't want Bill... <laughs> To think I have designs on his lady friend because she is a beautiful black woman. But I know when uh, to leave somebody alone. Okay. I know I'm not, I don't have no designs on her. I don't know who I'm trying to convince right now because you guys aren't Bill Burr. But um, just if you ever hear of Bill Burr punching me in the face, it's probably because he thought I was trying to steal his fiance. You know, um, which I doubt the guy's confident. <laughs> The guy's confident. I think he's pretty sure that Nia is not into me at all. So, who the fell? I think Nia's pretty sure that she's not into me at all as well. This has been an extra special rambly time. I uh, I want to get to the podcast. Let's do it. Pember 10, go! <laughs> We hit record and then we just start talking. Sounds good to me. At any point, I just already hit record because I just like it to be, like it to be recording. I just like it to be a conversation. Yeah, a conversational recording. A, a conversational kind of recording. A recording that's been conversed upon, uh, you know. And some sort of, it's it's been cast. It's been cast. We're casting deep into the night. The pod's been cast. The die has been cast. Mm -hmm. We're twisting the wind. What can you say? I think we are. We're we are twisting, twisting the wind. Yeah, that, you get it right. A lot of people ask the other way around. They're like, what does that mean? Like, what oh. does twisting the wind mean? Yeah. It's, you're, you got it. It just means like you're shooting the shit. You're twisting that wind around your mouth. <laughs> you're twisting the wind. It's your, speaking. Your breath is wind. Just very, like, very soft wind. And you use your teeth and your tongue and your lips to twist right. it oh, into you know words. About this. You know about this. I, I know about it now. But you definitely know about, like, movement of mouth stuff. Like, Do I? Don't you? Because you know, like, about singing and, yeah, you know, that's yeah. like a thing where they'll tell you, like, oh, you're you're pushing your tea. You need to bring your tongue up to the top of your mouth when you say that, when you say, thwart. <laughs> yeah, no, like, palate placement. And, yeah. like, I did the international phonetic alphabet oh, stuff. Oh, man. See, you know all yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. We had to do, we had an assignment. God. It was the most fascinating assignment in which what we had to do was. Like take your tongue out? Well, we learned, like, all like these different symbols for tongue placement and palate usement and stuff. That's so cool. Stuff like that. And what we had to do was we had to uh, basically um, ha have a, uh, a famous speech of a, like a famous celebrity or something right. from some movie. And we basically had to map out oh, cool. how they used their placement. Like if right. it was in the front of the mouth, the back of the mouth, the tongue was up, down, stuff like that. Yeah. And then we had to mimic their voices. And I did a speech. I did Al Pacino's speech from Heat. Oh, cool. Where he's sitting there with Rob, Robert, De Bobby De Niro. 
good old good old Bobby, good old Bobby, Bobby D. D. Bobby Digital. And uh, Bobby Digital. Yes. Uh, and I forgot the name from. He's I'm describing this dream that he had. Right. Where he's like, um, and I remember because he's got this really nasal. I remember just like the, the way he stalks is very nasal. Mm-hmm. And like I could kind of do it, but you know, it's like, I got the rhythms down. Look at you. Right. Over there. That's, that's pretty much but it. But that's the rhythm. That's yeah. the rhythm of it. Look at you going. Like, that's it. I don't even know what that is. Um, but I had to do that speech. And then uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? Diphthong. Diphthong. Oh, I remember this one guy. One time we had this guy come to our school. Mm-hmm. He was this French guy. Ooh. And he, my, our, our voice uh, speech teacher was fascinated with him because he had, he had studied Gregorian chant, like lived with monks. Oh, cool. And then he had studied um, kabuki theater. Yeah. Like, because the way that the kabuki, like the way that the Japanese use their voices in kabuki theater is completely different. Really? And it's all this stuff where it's like he's talking about all these these Western techniques and these voice techniques that we have in which we, he's saying it's pretty much all psychological. That uh-huh. it's like we think of a losing our voice and the thought of losing your voice is what makes you lose your voice. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's placebo. Exactly. Um, you, our teacher used to say that worry came from the Latin worrere, which means to choke. No so way. when you worry, you're literally no way choking, right? I love but a good this Latin guy, root. I know, she always, she always used to pull these Latin roots on us, like Biblos. educate Biblos. is educare, which means educare. to draw out. It means uh, it was already there. Or like the word essay is from the French essayer, which means to try. So that's why I <laughs> is was that think, true. Yeah, it is true. So that's huh. I always think if you're trying to write an essay or write something that's like an essay, you just think, oh, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to do this. It's not, there's, no, there's no bearing on anything. I'm just trying. Just well, trying. those are the good psychological tricks that I yeah. need sometimes because I'm too hard on myself. But the point of the story is this voiceover guy. I remember she told us this one story about like how just the animal voice right. that we all have this natural animal voice. Oh, yeah. That when you come, everything is <laughs> when we twist the wind, when we, when, you know, yeah. the, when you want to get to it, relax. Mm-hmm. Um, but that when we are in a place, a state of usually like shock or amazement or terror, fear, we make a sound that mm-hmm. is completely uninhibited. We're not right. thinking about it. Yeah. We're not thinking about how we're using our voice or singing. We're just like, ah, it just comes out of our center. And she said something about, like, there have been studies done about, like, uh, plane crashes. Right. People who survive plane crashes or have near plane crash experiences, when they're going down and they're yelling, they're yelling. They never lose their voices. They yeah. lose their voices later when they're thinking about the experience. Oh, really? They're thinking about yelling, mm-hmm. and they lose their voices. This French guy, right? Right. This is the point okay. I wanted to get to. This guy made five sounds at the same fucking Time. I still really? have never seen so anything he like, like it. So he like burped and farted and sneezed. Well, he was doing like coughed. a Gregorian <laughs> chanty kind of thing. So like stacked. Uh, what's it called? I think I know what you're talking about. I used, to, I used to be really into the whole throat singing thing. That's what it was. It was a variation yeah. on throat singing Where, and like it was fucking crazy. I think it's a harmonic is what it is. It's like a. He was harmonic, yeah. har- harmonizing with himself, but also like, the high, high, the whistle tone. Yeah. He could manipulate. So it was Actually, like he was going. And then it was like these three sounds, and then suddenly there was another fourth. Then there was this other one. It was like, yeah. I was like, what the fuck is happening? I remember watching a guy on YouTube do that. Some Asian dude was just like throat could, singing, he, but he could do like twelve levels. It's some crazy. Yeah, I don't know. Ah, well, but it's just like it sounds really good, though. It sounds great, and it's I always awesome. thought about because I, I, I rarely, laser. rarely ever lose my voice. 
Me too. I lost my voice once when I got re- a really bad chest cold. And yeah, see, it's always like a cold. Or yeah, sickness or that's something. the only thing. Even though I didn't lose it, just I lost some, a lot of range. Yeah, you yeah. had like an eighteen octave range. Oh, huge! Me and Harry Nelson. Harry Nelson is. Does Harry Nelson really have a big range? He had a five octave range, four octave range. Really? I think he had four octave. Four octaves big, right? So if somebody said it's so big when they're talking about Harry Nelson, they're just talking about his, his range. range. Yeah. Mm, okay. He used to harmonize with himself on his records. Really? He I've never re- really listened to any Harry. He Nelson. would record all the uh, harmonies himself, and you wouldn't be like, "Oh wow, this is a great chorus." No, it's him. Because you're a big music guy. I mean, did you, huge. Because you do that on your podcast as well, yeah. Twisting the Wind on yeah. uh, Feral Audio. See. Uh, that you will some you will show you will have clips you'll like showcase yeah. like some records that you found and stuff like that. I like to because I for me I like, I like the thing I like to talk about the most. I feel like is music that gets me the most excited. Why is that? Just does. I always listen to music a lot, and I was for a long time I thought I wanted to be a musician, and I was, and for a long time I played music and um you was play? in bands. I played bass and I played hmm. played bass for a long time. Oh, I guess played, who I met the other day. Who? A bass player. Yeah. <laughs> think of one of the most famous bass players you could think of. Well, the one I think I'm thinking of is just died. Donald Duck Dunn from the Booker T and MGs. But um <laughs> A famous bass player that if you didn't know much about music, you would still know who this person is. Oh, Flea? Not Flea. He's pretty famous as a bass player. Before Flea. Uh okay. Uh famous bass player. Rock band? What genre? Funk. Funk. Oh, we're talking about Bootsy. Bootsy Collins. Holy shit, you met Bootsy. I met Bootsy. Oh, man, that yeah. must have been a trip. It was kind of cool. He's, he's really, like, he's like, really tall. Like, look at that book. No, no, no. He, <laughs> he was really, like, sensitive. I bet. He sat down. You know, we uh, I have this animated thing that I, yeah. I'm working on that he's kind of interested in, oh, like shit. doing a voice for. Bootsy. Which I would don't be know awesome. what his voice sounds like. Plus, it would be... It would also, like, music is a very integral part to this thing uh-huh. because I want the soundtrack of this thing to be as integral as, like, Superfly. Or yeah. like uh, Afro Samurai. Have you heard the Afro Samurai soundtrack? I think I haven't. It's by the, the RZA. Okay. They pretty much produced the entire thing. Oh, I'll have to listen to that. I like that a lot. And it's fucking incredible. Wow. And I think that he was trying to go for like a hip-hop version of Superfly, which right. is kind of like people so, know Afro, the, people know Superfly, but they don't even know that it was a movie. Some people don't no, even know that it was a movie. Do, I haven't seen the movie, and I've listened to But you've heard the freaking Curtis Mayfield's just yeah. soulful fucking bass playing. You the underground, ver- uh, the demo version of Underground from Mm-mm, that? No. It's the one that... Fucking most badass things. Oh, no one ever plays it, but it's this, the demo for Underground is so stripped down. The bass work on there is ridiculous. It is hmm. just like so rooted, but so. And that's also, a Curtis song. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh-huh. don't know it. It's heavy duty. You know the song Underground. The song. I, I'm, hey, I'm not remembering. Underground. I can't believe I'm fucking singing. Go ahead. Uh, Johnny Pemberton is singing Curtis Mayfield. Go ahead, Johnny Pemberton. Well, Curtis turn, Mayfield. Well, I'll turn black, black, black. But who's to know? <laughs> Underground. If you guys could see the excitement in Johnny Pemberton's eyes right now, yeah, you would you would feel like you were in the underground. That that's so great when they have. That. Oh, I'm definitely gonna look that up. Oh, turn black, black, black. They have the echo on that. Mm-hmm. What a, he's a motherfucker. I love Fly Guy. Fly Guy is one of my yeah my my favorite uh, um, Curtis Mayfield songs. He's good. And then they um, did then uh, Fishbone did redid it with Curtis did? Mayfield. Oh. I didn't know. I didn't weird. Know. It's weird. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, musica. Yeah. Mu- musica. Ah, la, 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 but that's... Uh, musica. See, I've always wanted Life. to... I, I didn't get into music as like a... Hmm. Until later. Right. Like it was like... I went to performing arts high school and I ended up like getting close with some guys that were like legitimate at 16 like 
jazz oh, players. That's how it always is. Oh. Like they were fucking incredible. Like yeah. just, uh, I remember because my friend Andre Carey, who was just a fucking incredible like alto sax player, alto and tenor sax player. Um, he put together the group of like guys that he likes in the school, mm-hmm. and just like just they could just fucking rip. Yeah, I think all those all those young kids they can. They have like incredible chops, and they're just like virtuosos. But the thing about all those young kids is they have the chops, but they don't have like the restraint, which I think is the biggest part of being a good musician is knowing what not to play. Like you see mm. these videos of kids like, oh look at this little drummer kid, he's like blasting, and he's like got him up front, and he's like you know twelve, and he's just shredding. But it's also like, oh, you're playing too much. Well, but here's you know the thing: I mean? these guys had I mean, that restraint. I, I don't know these guys, but I'm just saying they had like, that in restraint general. because they actually played in right. like. You know, they were at school. It was a performing arts high school. Yeah. So they're taking the classes to learn those things. Right. But then also a lot of them played around town. Like, oh, I'm sure. Like, did sessions with people, like, big names well, you look at that any, were coming in. Any jazz drummer from the 60s and this and is 50s. Vegas I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I believe it. You know, it's a big market thing. Like, the, the <laughs> Tony, Tony Williams was, I think, 19 maybe or younger when he recorded with Miles Davis on Miles Smiles and all those all those recordings. All those recordings. Yeah. He's 19 years old, 18 years old. Motherfucker on the drums. Yeah, but those, but like 18 is, then is different. Is different than 18 yeah, now. Right. 18 before like, Instagram is a right. whole different world. Like Otis Redding was 27 when he died. Jeez. 27 when he died. He was, I think he was like 18 or 19. He was driving a bus and he got, right. when he got discovered. Right. Yeah. Well, he's a grown man. Like, he was super grown. And Sam Cooke was, well, he was 30-something, wasn't he? I don't know. I think he was pretty young, too. He might have been young, too. King Curtis was young. Tupac was young. Tupac was 27. No, he wasn't, was he? Yes, he was. This 27 thing, sometimes it bugs me. I'm just like, just don't die at 27, because it's reinforcing this weird thing where people, when they're 27, think like, ugh, I have to die as an artist <laughs> because of numerology. Amy Winehouse. She was 27? I don't know if she's 27. She might have been 33. I feel oh, like really? she was in that range where it's like the Kurt Cobain, Janis Joplin age. Yeah. And I always felt like there was an intent. I always felt like Probably. Amy Winehouse was trying to recreate oh. the 60s. She was on her 70s way out from the In beginning. terms of drug habits. Uh-huh. But that's why she had so much. The first time I heard Amy. Okay, look. My one She's a great true singer. skill, Johnny Pemberton, yeah. is I can listen to someone singing and right. not hear them. And I can tell if they're black or white. Really? I can always tell. I can okay. always tell. Amy Winehouse she tricked you? was the first person, the only person, that the first time I heard her, I was like, that's a black woman. Yeah, me too. It was like, nope, she's a I Jew from thing. England. I was like, I, what? No, I couldn't fucking believe it. I was so into that shit right away because it was the that, the Daptown guys were playing up. They were the backup band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bosco, the Dap Kings. Bosco Man and the Dap, yeah. And I, like the, the just the music behind it is so heavy. And then... Her voice, yeah, she had a fucking amazing voice. I was really when I first heard her because people talk about it's only ever people it always seems it's people only ever white her. people that are just like she's got a black voice. Yeah, like like Elvis I Presley has shit. never sounded black to no. me. He also I don't like Elvis. Okay, Elvis. calm down. Why don't you like Elvis? I just think he's. I just want to let you know overrated. that the ghost of my grandmother is probably smiling when you say this right now because she hated Elvis. Really? Well, I think Elvis is like a long tradition of of white people taking a huge amount of credit for black music. It's like, a, it's like a it's like a historical thing, but right? Because he was doing like chess records, like right, like, and yeah, like, and there's all these guys like Lightning Hopkins and Magic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I don't know, but I'm, I'm probably like out of out of step with the the chronology here. But you know, he's just one of those guys who, like, I I don't hate him. I just like don't am I into it because it's not very soulful to me. Like, well, I think that there 
are some songs that he has that are do some. have there soul. And that and, then it I always mean, surprises me because I was never a big Elvis fan. Mm-hmm. But I can't – I went to Graceland. I drove from New York to here. Right. And I went through the South and I went to Graceland. And I still, even though I'm not the biggest Elvis fan, couldn't resist – the coolness oh, yeah. is of that, his is place is kind of like, this place is actually kind of fucking cool. There's an oove. There, there's something going <laughs> on. There's just a, there's a feeling. Yeah. And just hearing about, like, the kind of guy that he was, it's just kind of yeah. like, oh, he was like a good guy, like, to people, not his family. He was a pretty boy. He was a pretty boy. He was That's good to thing. people around him, but, like, he was, he was, I think he was an abusive husband. Oh, yeah, he's probably. And a, and a drug habit, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, all, all sorts of uh, nefarious That's probably when the soul things. started. When it was like, Maybe. Once you once you put that needle in your arm, you can sing. You can sing the soul. You That's can... what Johnny Pemberton and I are endorsing today: is heroin mm-hmm. for the sake of good records. If you can uh, resist the temptation to habitually use it, go ahead. Just take a dip. <laughs> take a little dip into it. I people, you know, people say like, oh, I use heroin. Like, did you shoot it up? No, I smoked it. Oh, you didn't use heroin. <laughs> yeah, you know. That's what I think. You know how it goes. Wait, you can smoke heroin. You can smoke heroin. Yeah, people that, do it all is, the time. It's not the same as uh, opium. Is that uh, opium? Well, oh, it's an opiate. It's, it's an opiate. It's the yeah. same plant, yeah. isn't it? It's from Papa Ver yeah. Soniferum. Which poppy seeds. Right. I remember hearing that. Bread like, seed poppy. That poppy seeds, like if you eat poppy seeds and have a drug test, that you'll test positive. Yeah, well, it used to be. They've refined them now. but They've refined the poppy seeds? or They, they refined the, the drug tests. Test? But mm. that's... The thing is that people... Some people just love bagels. They do. And muffins. I love poppy then seeds. Then they couldn't Ooh. get a job. Yeah. <laughs> Every day they had poppy seed bagel. And now they know. I'm a big fan of the poppy seed. It's a tasty little seed. But it is that, that is the thing that people don't realize is the seeds that are on bagels and, and, and on bagels and things, mm-hmm. on bagels, those are opium poppies. They're not like a special, oh, that's not like a non-opium. No, that's, that's an opium. That's, an opium, that's a Hungarian blue opium you can, bread seed poppy. You can plant it. Oh, yeah. You definitely could. If it, had, if it wasn't cooked or toasted, you could plant it. And you could uh, go yourself. That's crazy. It is. That's the, there's a big disinformation campaign that the government has been waging since the 50s about how poppies have to be grown in the mountains and special conditions when really anyone can grow them anywhere, anytime, pretty much. They're, just like, they're just like cold, uh, well drained rocky soil. We're already going into the government here. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's sad. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. It's cray cray. Well, you know, let's, let's transition because I think we're already starting to, to talk about it. We are. A little bit. Now, when I asked you, you said, Legitimacy was your subject, but yeah. I scratched it. I scratched it and he sniffed scratched. it. I sniffed and scratched and sniffed. it, and I turned it into belonging. Right. And I feel like because you, you described it as like staying relevant. I guess that's part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also I think it's a, the biggest thing. I think is um, you know, I think uh, for a lot of people like myself who grew up in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and I don't have any like any clear ethnic roots. You know what I mean? Like I'm a mishmash. Of You're just things. miscellaneously European. Just miscellaneously white European guy, you know? So you don't have any traditions at all. You know, you have, like, there's nothing, there's nothing you have, like... Ludifisk? Well, see, that, that's, like, a thing I wasn't into, because I'm, like... Oh, okay. I grew up in Minnesota, but, like, I wasn't, like... I'm not a Minnesotan, like, in right. terms of, like, I'm not Swedish or German, like, full, full-blood German. I don't have, like, a German or Swedish-speaking grandmother who, like, makes terrible food for me to eat. So you, you know? didn't have, like, a... Uh... No, I so I don't have, like, that Minnesota, true Minnesota background either, so okay. it's this weird thing where I always felt... I think that's kind of why I got into um, jazz and funk and soul so much because it was like, oh, this stuff is so opposite anything I mm. have ever um, experienced myself. So, 
and it's clearly so rooted in something. Isn't Sam Goody didn't Musicland Sam start? Goody? Like the Musicland? Uh, uh, oh, probably like BMG. That sure didn't that start in Minnesota? Maybe I don't know. I probably. I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying. It seems like it's like a. It's a. It's a very. I almost want to say it's a classic American story. Oh yeah. Like a Midwestern kid. Yeah. Doesn't feel like he has a group to identify yeah, with. Exactly. He stumbles upon some Otis Redding one day, mm-hmm. and this whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> don't you. Don't, coming up next. Don't you dare close, close your, your eyes. eyes. Channing Tatum is the prince. <laughs> Don't you dare close your eyes. Aladdin will never be the same. Aladdin, 3D life. White white Aladdin. 3D white life Aladdin. What was that movie that came? Oh, The Prince of Persia. Oh, yeah. With Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, well, that movie got like so deeply immediately panned that no one... Well, it was just kind of like Persia. Yeah. It's just like, oh, you mean like a white guy with the British accent? I make up his Persian? Mm-hmm. Thanks, movies. Not at all. Not at all. Thanks, movies. But yeah. anyway, so you 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 kind of... Stumbled onto funk and music and soul and yeah, whatnot. Right. Funk and music and soul. Those and are the jazz, three. Funk, jazz, jazz soul. Yeah. Blues. Blues, jazz and blues. Mostly jazz. I got really into the jazz stuff for a while. And that was as a means of finding a place, finding a group. I guess or... so, yeah. Feeling like something that you, something you, that's, uh, you feel unique because mm-hmm. you're listening to this music that most everyone else is not listening to. So and you had a thing that was yours. Yeah. It was mm. my thing because I don't have anything because I don't have any family traditions and there's nothing like special. Like our family has nothing. My mom's from the South. She was from Louisiana. So the closest thing that I would come to to having any type of tradition was eating gumbo. Yeah, eating southern food. And she made well, a lot. New, or- New Orleans. New Orleans. Yeah. Food? yeah. Exactly. So which is that's pretty rooted. And I used to be really into. Well, that kind of comes full circle because that's kind of kind of why I got into jazz because like we go to we go to visit New Orleans and. That has a very birthplace. Yeah, like I got really into Professor Longhair. It's this guy. Mm. He's this ridiculous piano player. He's he's passed away since, but he um, God rest his piano. He's a really cool guy. He's like this fucking crazy crazy dude who used to smoke shitloads of weed and play boogie woogie piano. He's like a boogie style. I guess you'd call it. I don't know what you'd call it exactly, but he was really. Um, he was. A, Traditional New Orleans kind of sound that a lot of people have borrowed from him. Was it, uh, what era was he from? He's like the Professor Longhair? Yeah, 50s, uh, 40s and 50s. So he's kind of, because I'm trying to think of like the, like I'm thinking like Jelly Roll Morton. Okay, you know that song Tipitina? Mm mm. Tipitina's was the song. Tipitina, that's like his famous song. I mean, he was like, it's stuff where he's like Catterwall. He's like just really, he's not a great singer. And the sense of what a great singer. But he is. had that Atlantic style. Oh yeah. Was there, would, where you say there was like uh, he he predates Monk, right? Thelonious Monk, or is it the same era? I'd say probably about the same era, but yeah. it's definitely. You know, I'm saying his, Jelly Roll is like that tradition of like yeah. New Orleans piano playing. Well, it's like a Fats Waller kind of thing, where it's just really yeah, Fats Waller. That's that's like a super, uh, what's it? A stride, stride, stride piano. Well, his stuff was some of it stride, yeah. Because I'm thinking Jelly Roll and Fats are kind of in that right. stride. They are. Jelly Roll is supposedly the the inventor of it. Right. Yeah. The stride stuff. I mean, the stride is really like tech, so technical. But I mean, it kind of blends in a boogie woogie, I guess. Hmm. Okay, um, so it's kind of like more of a, I mean, somewhere in between right. there. But then you have that New Orleans, that second line feel, that that mm-hmm. sh- that weird shuffle that comes from who knows where. You know, comes from everywhere. But yeah, it's like mostly that, like uh, marching band music. Marching band yeah. music, and like, um, I think you have a lot of influence from different slave populations from like islands, like like calypso, not calypso, but like uh, there's like a, a rumba, I think, in Zydeco. there. Zydeco. Zydeco, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, there's a guy Buckwheat Zydeco. You know his guy? name is Buckwheat. Buckwheat Zydeco. I don't Zydeco. Think, no, it's not his real name. 
But that's what he performs under. Buckwheat's got it. Okay, because that's the best character name I've ever heard. Oh, Buckwheat's got to go. He's real. He's very, very famous Cajun musician. As okay. Musician. Yeah. Cheesy, crazy, cool guy. Crazy. Cool dude. So though. this is what you you did. Yeah, I got you into you was like looking up catalogs and looking up histories. Yeah, and... I just got into that stuff because you know it's like I just was uh it's super boring to be a white person. And <laughs> it really is though. I really I think about that more and more all the time. Just how like kind of how so I'm I'm ashamed and I'm also just kind of like. Like, I don't like people say use the word guilt a lot. I don't mm-hmm. feel white guilt. Yeah, which I don't think is. I think that's only the case if you're maybe latently racist. But I think that it's more of a just sort of like ashamed and um, had nothing to be proud of because there's nothing. There's not really a lot going on in like modern. Well, Johnny, I mean, you know white people I mean? have done a lot. Uh, they've done a lot, but like <laughs> they've done a lot. But that's the thing is. White people have a lot to be proud of. They do, but you know what I mean. But there's there's such a broad. It's like saying rock music. Founding so, this country. They have Satlash taking it. But it's such a it's such a broad like white. It's such a broad spectrum of people mm-hmm. that it's hard to sort of lump yourself in there. You know what I mean? Well, whiteness is the absence of color. Right. So it's it? by nature bland and like without. Or is it blackness the opposite of color? Well, technically, oh, white's every color. Black white is, is every single yeah. color, and black is the absence of color. Right, right. When you're talking about light, right. But that's like being technical. Right, right, right. Yeah. But when you're talking about crayons, yeah. <laughs> if you put every crayon in one place, right. it's going to be black. Uh, but it's just like it's a miscellaneous, it's a mishmash. It's like yeah. it, it's basically an idea. Yeah. The idea of white whiteness is a vacuum. Uh-huh. It, it 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 doesn't have any definition. Yeah. There's no. That's why white people are always like, oh, well, I'm German and I'm... Yeah, I'm, nothing. Like, they're looking for that identity that is something other than just white. Just and sometimes white. you have to kill a bunch of people to find it. Sometimes you, know? you have to kill sometimes you have to wear... a society that existed. Oh, right. Yeah, sometimes you have to do that, which is terrible. Or sometimes you have to, like, wear, uh, wear a prostitute skin, you know? Like, take her skin off and murder <laughs> for a bunch of times. It puts the lotion on its skin so yeah, you can do that. Exactly. So it'll be soft so you can peel it. Oh, I know who I am now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Buffalo. Oh, that's a Native American name. True. Buffalo Bill, that's a Native American. But continue, I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know what Well, you're just talking about the idea of, of, of whiteness is this kind of, just it's bleh. Yeah, it's, so, it's super bleh. So it's something where. So you've always felt bleh about your whiteness. Yeah, I just sort of, I'm kind of embarrassed by it and just sort of uh, something where, yeah, like if I get to start from scratch, in a way, like it's not really fair to say that, to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, but I feel like it's like, it's hard to, it's hard to be that way because you don't have any sort of, um, you don't have anything to, to guide you as far as like what you're supposed to be doing, you know? How about this? You know what I mean? Rephrase that, but put I and me in there. See how you feel about that. All right. Well, I I feel like this is like, a, this is like some sort of group therapy session. No. Uh, because you could say because you're talking about your own experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like that because, <laughs> because of the bland nature of white America that I didn't know who I was supposed to be because you can be anything. You know what I mean? You, you're bewildered by choice. You know, if you go to a restaurant that has like seven page menu, you're like, I can't fucking figure out what to order. There's too many choices. That's what it's like to be white. It is. <laughs> but you know what? Being white is just a never ending menu of options. It is, but that you do not know I what don't to think, choose. I don't think that's good. That's I think that's bad. Incredible. I think it sucks. I think it's really horrible. And I think it's a kind of thing that makes people it makes white makes white people shitty and makes them like that's why they get into like all kinds of stupid crap that doesn't matter. Like stuff like 
You got to have a fucking lawn. You got to have all these things that are just really very um, external kind just of just external uh, and that, in markers. A, in a sense, you could say that's the that's what's behind manifest destiny. Yeah, in a sort of a way, it's like we're white. That's fucking. Let's go take let's somebody take else. It. Let's take let's it. Let's go we there can. and find out what they got and take it. Yeah, let's take it because we can. We're supposed to take it. But so, and I, I think that I. I think in, in all things, when you have a challenge or when you have um, when something is hard to do as opposed to easy, you have a better product always. And well, that, what was that old that saying? It's like um, nothing that was uh, nothing that wasn't hard wasn't worth doing or something like that. Not, yeah, something like that. Something that like that. Where it's just like it's worth doing when it's hard. Right. If it's easy, what's the fucking? And that's point? why I feel like that's why I feel like the life in white America is it's so easy. It's so easy that it you just breeds crap. Well, I mean that you guys are the creators of uh, not creators. I was going to say the creators of angst, but that is not. Uh, that's yeah. a German word, right? <laughs> angst, ennui. That's French. Ennui, yeah, ennui. See, that's yeah. what white people are so bored. Exactly, they have to go to Europe to find the definitions to that's define totally the true, boredom though. that they have. Yeah, and I think, but I think that's not just white people. I think it's Americans in general. A lot of times, you know, just this general malaise and yeah, and, because and just kind of things are so easy. White noise, if we have, you will. We have cars. We have a lot of cheap oil. We can build everything to our conveniences, but we don't really need half the things we have. So, so you have been kind of. There, you kind of been not necessarily. I don't want to say obsessed, but like this is a thing that's always kind of been in your head about like, oh, I gotta yeah. be something other. I gotta be something. Yeah, you gotta have than... a little struggle. <laughs> so you tried to create some struggle for yourself. Well, or? I mean, I had some struggle because I had like a pretty serious illness for a while. Oh, you did? Yeah, I had a, I had colitis, ulcerative colitis. Oh yeah, I know colitis. I, yeah, I had that for I got colitis that when, and Crohn's. Right, I got that when I was about ten years old. I had that for a long time, and then I had my colon removed. I had it totally taken out. Uh, about I guess about ten years ago or so. so. Wow, yeah. So that was you know that's that's tough. That was tough. <laughs> that was hard. Still, it's kind of shitty. No, pun intended. Literally, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a thing where it's like uh, a perfect name for your podcast: deep shit. You know, deep shit. I have that's some right. shallow shits. You had shallow shits. Yeah. Oh, Lots watch out. Mm. Getting disgusting, but I th- I kind of think that's what made me think about all that stuff is that I feel like I was dealing with something that was difficult, and this is a struggle made things everything it made everything more difficult than it would be mm-hmm. if I wasn't sick. So I kind of I I don't know if I maybe and it's not, it's not like a a moment or it wasn't like a certain period of time where I started thinking about that, but it just in general I think it made me more aware of of uh, difficulties and just challenge in general. Mm. I think if I hadn't had that challenge, I probably would have been a much worse person. I probably would have been like a, a an asshole. Not well, that I am right now, but it always takes yeah. a little bit. I mean, I believe I have this theory. I call it the uh, <clears throat> I got no name for it. Uh, I was going to say the theory of no. Called the phlogiston theory. The yes no theory. The the uh, Floston paradise uh, theory from right? f- uh, Fifth Element. Um, no, it was basically you do have to have. I think. A little struggle you in your to. life to have any sort of dimension. Mm-hmm. When you when there's something that you just can't do, you start thinking about um, what your position in the world is, right. the people around you, especially when they don't understand what you're going through, right? You know. So, I have this theory that it's like you have to have to be a good person, to be a balanced person, you have to have a lot of yes and a lot of no in your life. You have to have equal amounts, right? If you're a person that's heard yes too much, <laughs> you're screwed. You're screwed. 
you're and if you're, you're a person who's heard no too much, you're screwed. You're gonna be you're gonna kill yourself. You're gonna be like fat and unhappy and sloughing through life. See, I feel like, and that's 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 one of the things that's that's ironic about being an actor or comedian right. is that the concept of auditioning is myriad no's until yeah. someone says yes. Mm-hmm. You audition a hundred times to get one yes. Yep. So it's like 99 no's, and it's very hard, depending on who you are, to not internalize those things yeah. and to not obsess about, like I do, the shit that I believe is in my way of why I'm always going to get a no. Yeah. I'm so used to no that I project no before the thing has even happened. That's not good, I guess. It's not good. Or unless you can, you can try to enjoy the no. Like, I'm going for a no here. Well, <laughs> see, and that's the thing. It's just kind of like if I could just embrace the fact that instead of it, – it's the idea of writing the paper you think the teacher wants to read right. as opposed to trying to express yourself. Right. Be in the moment, not pander. Because I've gotten, I've gotten notes. Sometimes I audition to not get the notes I get in audition instead of doing what I think yeah. it is I do. Right. I'm just like, I don't want to be told to tone it down. So I'm going to play this as low and as under as I can. And then I don't, then it's just like, I don't, I didn't bring it because I, I yeah. cut out the things I believe make me unique. Yeah. You can't do that. You got to do the opposite. And it's just so weird. Just like, can you just, I don't, I, I guess I just don't understand how big I am or how well, I'm the opposite. I, I don't I always forget how small I am. I'm like, really bigger? Okay. I'm like, hey, that big? Like, no, like 10 times as big as that, sir. Like, oh, man. They I, always do call stuff, you I do stuff so small that it's like I... Is that Midwestern? Yeah. Is that Midwestern? Well, oh, that I'm just like a subtle cool guy, you know? You're so, like oh, super, oh, okay. That's super low-key like, cool. No, no, I'm just cool. Super low-key filmic actor who, like, you know, nails the close-up first time. <laughs> kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's the filmic It's the filmic part of my brain. They call you one take Johnny. Oh, yeah, totally. And your name is Johnny, so I'll, it like, actually I'll applies. I'll hit the first take, but I'm, I'll do 40. I don't mind. Okay, cool. I'll do 40 takes. You guys are paying for this, so I'll do 40. Who will complain? I will not. You've got it. I'm you guys having have a good time. got it. Am I here? You've got it already. Yeah. Uh, did you hire me? Did you not hire me? I'm sorry. You made a mistake. <laughs> I really feel that way sometimes. I'm like, oh, you didn't? Well, I'm sorry that that movie's going to suck. Yeah, my friend once told me that's how she though. thinks about auditions. And you I, have to. It's so hard. I was like, she was like, if you, you know, you go in there and you do who you are, what it is, and like, and if they don't hire you, like, well, some mistake happened. Mistake they or... They made us a horrible mistake. Yeah, I'm like, mistake. Jesus, that's confident. But you have to be that way. If you're not, then it's like... um, Well, not with everything. With some things, I'm like, I don't want to do this. So yeah. I'm just going to fucking blow it out of the water. And then, oh, you get hired because you didn't give a shit about it. It's always those things. <laughs> like, when I don't give a shit, they're like, oh, we love them. Yeah. I've, the, the, everything I've booked has always been an audition I thought I sucked in. Really? Like an audition, I was like, well, I didn't fucking nail that. And then they're like, they fucking loved you. You got a call back. I'm like, what? Have you ever had it where you like you walked out and like, if I don't get that, like you know you nailed it and you think you'll get it? You've yes, I've that, definitely right? done yeah. that. I've, I've done had that too, where I like I get pissed. I it was this big thing where I was like, I had this just fucking destroyed it, right? Like, yeah. Come at me. I dare you. Come at me with whatever you got. I will crush you with my preparation and my skills. Right, right, right. Crushed it, left. And it was like, you know, there were, there was like a, you know, there's always like a panel of people who make the decision. Right. So there was, there was wavering on some people because of something unrelated to me. And I just was like, this is fucking bullshit. They better figure this out mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. 
You're not going to get that. You can't get that again. You can't get no one. Who, is, who else is going to do that for I you? I was nobody. super close to being in a Broadway play uh, called The Scottsboro Boys, which is mm-hmm. actually playing here, I think, at the, like, the Mark What's Taper. that about? Um, it's about some guys named Scott. The Scottsboro Boys, it's the case in American history that made you are you have the right to a jury of your peers. Oh, I oh, so that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. it was nineteen thirties Alabama, yeah. guy black dudes on a train and got pulled over. It's there almost these, actually happening at all sometimes. Yeah, and like because <laughs> because they there were these two girls that were stowaways on the train. Right. And they were like teen girls and they were afraid of, of getting caught and stuff. So they basically accused all these guys of raping oh, them the man. entire time and they Held him in jail. Right. Had a trial. Alabama in the 30s. Guilty. Yeah, of course. Um, the girls came forward and say, actually, we lied about all that. None of that is true. Another right. trial. Guilty. So it's just kind of like they kept getting found guilty oh, because they're black in the South in the 30s. Shit Doesn't sucks. matter what the case is. Shit sucks. So Kander and Ebb, the composers of Cabaret and Chicago. Okay. Um, the last one of them died. Mm-hmm. One of the last musicals that they wrote was the Scottsboro Boys. And I was like, this is a musical? They made a musical of this? Sounds kind of sad. And they told it. It was written in the style of like a minstrel show. Wow. It was like black people in blackface. That's crazy. And it was directed and choreographed by, ooh, I can't remember her name. She's the woman that did uh, the producers. Kathleen. Kathleen Mashimo. Marshall, I think, or something I know nothing about Broadway. Well, I auditioned for this, and this was like before I booked fairly legal the show mm-hmm. that i was on it was like literally a month before right. and i did like a and i i had the audition where i nailed it and i was like i didn't want that to happen because i don't necessarily want to do this play right well, but that's your choice though you don't have to do it if you don't want to but i just a good audition is always a good audition yeah you know what i mean so it's just kind of like i went in there i always got called for like musicals and shit where it's just like they needed snl quality like we need one guy that can do ten roles okay. and do different voices and right. different bodies and like if he puts on glasses he's a different guy he's the same guy but he's a different guy right so I was got called in for that shit because I would essentially played ten different parts uh-huh. right so I had to do all these different characters and shit for this audition and I remember there being thirteen people there and me doing these sides and I could see in their faces like yeah 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 <laughs> and I had like this then I had this third callback which was a dance audition Jesus I man. don't keep up with like musicals right like the lifestyle like i don't keep, keep taking dance classes and voice lessons yeah, and that's stuff. a whole other life that's their lot the, the people who fucking do broadway you cannot say that they are not sca- like they're the, the oh. most skilled fucking people the of that shit hottest working man in show business. they're they're so fucking they work so goddamn hard and mm-hmm. that's why I, sometimes i feel like i'm a fucking i'm a i'm a fraud like You're this not. is their you, world you work smart yeah, I, I didn't work hard. I work smart. Yeah. That's right. I can do a bunch of voices. <laughs> you need that? You need someone to be funny? So I never work hard. I'm I did this this dance audition, and I, I just blew it. I was like, oh, I'm done. I was like, I thought I was out of the running because I, I thought I sucked dance audition. Yeah. But then they wanted to see me again. It was like a fourth callback. Yeah. And I was like, Shh, you know what? Just tell them I'm not coming in because I felt like I had done a pilot the year before. Right. And I felt like I'll book another pilot this year. Yeah. Right? That was how I felt. So I said, don't. My agent called me and said, I don't know that I have ever been yelled at as much as I just got yelled at by this casting director. Why? Because I said no to going to the fourth callback, and I was their choice. Thirteen people had signed off on me, and the musical director wanted to hear me sing one more time. That was it. I, they were going to make the offer. This was a technicality. So, so why did you say no? Because I wanted to go do a, part, uh, a pilot. Why? 
Because it's a television show as TV opposed to a Broadway sucked. show. What? TV sucks. But I here's the thing. <laughs> Bro- Broadway is a fucking – it was off-Broadway first. Right. They were going to do a three-month run. All of pilot season it would have been. Right. right? January through February. So you don't have to go join a stupid-ass pilot season. But – I wouldn't have made enough money to even Ooh. justify. It's yeah, like there you go. they didn't pay any money. Yeah, I, I would have made like five hundred bucks a week, maybe. That's not very much at all. Yeah, that's nothing because it was off Broadway. You but make more money doing like like labor. That sounds like if I do one pilot, that's going to finance me for four months, four yeah. or five months, almost a half a year, depending. Depending on what your lifestyle choices. Depending on what my lifestyle choices are. What you like? What you choose to live? How I choose, but. It was like it was going to be off Broadway for three months. Then what? It's going to go straight to Broadway? No. No. There'll be a time when it's not. They might take it out of town and try it in Boston for a year. Then I'm like, I'm signing up for two years of a commitment here. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. But in retrospect, who the fuck knows? I I keep being like, no, I want to be open for shit. But, I, but now I got nothing going on. That, that's the thing. Like, it's like well, I, that's how everything is, though. Yeah, just everything changes constantly. But it does bring yeah. us back to our subject, right? Belonging, belonging, yes. right? Yeah. Do I so, belong in Los Angeles? Here? So, how do you Hi. find? Like, how did you find, or how do you continue to find the places where you belong? Because I would assume this. I'm, I'm also curious how this this fascination with music and all that stuff got you into like comedy. Um, I mean, I kind of think that music is closer to comedy than anything else. And I think that because the rhythm, rhythm. And I think people who are bad at comedy or people whose comedy also who I don't like is because it has no music to it. You know what I mean? There's no Mm. there has to be music in it. Otherwise, you're just talking. You're just like arranging words. Right. right. I think that some of the best comedy like um, this is just like a a weird reference. But, you know, uh, Brody Stevens has this joke where he says, Agree, agree with me on cadence alone. I'm like, yeah. he says that as a joke, but it's absolutely true. Because I remember being a kid laughing at jokes I didn't understand. Like, I really don't understand what this person's talking about, but I'm laughing just because of the way they're saying it, the way the music of their voice is saying something. And that's, that's funny. That's, what, that's why some people are just funny and some people just aren't. You know that Weinbach bit where he does the impersonation of his Filipino uncle? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he just, where it's right. like he's just talking in gibberish, right? And but the rhythm of it, exactly. It, he, and he says he's like, "You will, you will agree with me, right?" That the rhythm of this joke, you know, and then he does it, and it's just like it's so ridiculous, right. but so hilarious at the I, same and time. And Brent and I are good friends. We talk about this a lot about yeah, how yeah. like that's a, that's a thing. If you do if you do a joke or a thing that's that can be laughed at in, by someone who doesn't understand what you're saying, it's like that's like a, such a great thing. Mm. Like one of my favorite jokes I've ever done was when I was used to make this. Little like five year old girl who worked at the taco truck I go to every every Saturday night. I make her laugh like just falling down. I was like, this is the mo- this is the most fun ever. Well, how old are you then? I was. This was like about like five years ago or something. Oh, okay, like okay, yeah. yeah. And I would like always joke with her. I would do these weird like body things where I'm like I'm falling down and I'm getting up and like disappear. And she would just laugh her fucking ass off. <laughs> I was like, this is so much fun. Like this is this is better than anything I could possibly do on a stage because it's like it's actually funny as opposed to being. Like, you know, it's an impersonation of, of something funny. Mm. I don't know. You know what I mean? But you were making a person laugh that wasn't there being like, make me laugh. Right. Just like a human being in their life. A, a child. That, yeah. The purest, most innocent laugh that you could possibly right, cause get. Right, because kids laugh at things cause, just because they're stupid. Like, oh, that's weird. That's funny because it's just dumb or it's just something. It's just something weird. And that's what I think that most people, not most people, but there's just so much comedy that, 
the kids would wouldn't find funny. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in like a clean sense. I just mean that like in like a purely like oh a kid's not gonna laugh at you because you're you're like angry or you're just you're doing something that's not gonna be funny to a kid. And I think that's a bit. I I forget that a lot myself. I think I I should think about that more. Note to self: think about <laughs> making kids laugh more. I you know? think that because you you you're when it comes to like comedy on television or right. or film the editing like i i've seen hilarious like people i know that are funny right and a script written by a person who's written shit that's funny a director who's done a lot of comedy doesn't happen they then. get the wrong editor yeah the rhythm of the whole oh, yeah, thing is so important does right. not work like it just like the like the way it has to be edited i feel like comedy editing is way more strenuous and rhythmic than anything else i think yeah. maybe horror movies right but it's yeah, it's definitely a, a rhythm thing and that's why i think that i kind of got into it when i did because well i mean i didn't even think i could do comedy i just didn't think i thought you had to like, be invited or something you know <laughs> so but i was i went to uh i thought about going to music school really after high school but i didn't because i wasn't i'm not like super i'm not a super great musician like, I have a friend who, who did go to music school. He plays jazz guitar. He's, like, you know, he's one of those guys who can pick up any instrument and just, like, oh, I just learned this song right now. You know, he just has, like, that the gift of being able to, like, um, just control things in terms of music. So I didn't, I couldn't quite do that. And uh, I don't know. I think I thought about getting into comedy just because... I don't even know. I'm, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. I just know that. Well, you're talking about like because we're talking about some finding this right. like, this community, right? I, I think I remember when I first started doing stand up, which was in L.A., which is you know weird and wrong. And I was supposed to start doing comedy in L.A. So you moved here after high school or after college? After or? college, yeah. Okay, where'd you go to school? I went to school at Florida State University. Oh, so you went to fucking Florida? Yeah. Jeez, from Minnesota? Yeah. Holy on purpose. Shit. I was like, I want to get out of Minnesota and go someplace weird. And then you went, yeah, I'm going to go someplace weird, and yeah. you went to the weirdest possible it place. It was, yeah. It was great, though. That place is awesome. Tallahassee is a really unique city because it's, it's a lot of crime. It's the South. It's not. Tallahassee is the, it's Tallahassee the South. and Jacksonville are the South. Yeah. The rest of Florida is just fucking Florida. Yeah. Except for, like, the weird middle parts where there's tons of horses and rednecks and weird shit. But, yeah. I don't know what um, the fuck's going on there. Yeah, it's uh, it, is awesome. It's hot as shit, but it's a really, it, I don't know. I liked it a lot. I got into radio there. I got uh, a little radio station WVFS Tallahassee eighty nine point seven, the Voice of Florida State six four four one VFS. Your requests, greatest radio station on the planet. Huge and shout out to them. Did you do bits on the, on the radio and stuff? I used to do a show with my friend Stephen Shore. We did a show called Friday Night All Request, also known as the Friday Night Pajami Jam. Oh yeah. <laughs> so we would every Friday from ten p.m. to two a.m. We would do a show for almost. Almost three years we did it. Every wow. Friday we sacrificed, except for a couple times we'd get it filled so we could do a party or something like that. But so we would, um, yeah, we. But did. it was like your it was like your routine. It's like you looked forward to it every week. Oh yeah, it was great. We you know it was mostly music, but we would do a lot of fucking around the radio. It was all you know we couldn't swear, right? So it was uh, college radio. Yeah, so we, we couldn't say a lot of nasty shit, but we would. We had a lot of really fun bits we would do and weird things, you know. Mm. We had like a, a bit we'd do about like some – a lot of it was making fun of like college crap, you know, because all the college radio stations are always it's – the, it's the indie bastion of the school, especially right. Florida State, which is this big meathead state school with tons of frats and just right. just tons of people with questionable taste, if taste at, at all. Okay. So it's, it was like a thing where you felt like – 
It was just the. I remember walking there for the first time. Like this is the coolest place I've ever been in my entire fucking life. I couldn't even believe. It. I was like, this is so awesome. I've never, I've never felt coming back to belonging. That was some place where I felt so. I've just felt the best because I just really felt everyone there, every single person who worked there, and probably still to this day, and before I was there, was just. There was like an immediate, like, this person is good. They have passed. If they're here, they're doing something that you agree with. Like, every, every person I met there, like, they've gone on to be my, like, my best friends and people I still talk to. Like, my friend, Matt Kimmel, who lives in Chicago. Like, I saw him when I was there for the Just for Laughs thing. It's like, you know, we, we hung out. We hadn't seen each other in six years, but it's like we hadn't seen each other in six days. It's just instantaneous um, rapport. Because mm-hmm. we like have the same taste and stuff, and it's just like one of those things where, yeah, there's there's very few places I've ever been or been involved with that are so such fostered such a great community and also while creating like a a great product of great radio. And then four years were up, and you're like, L.A. It is. Yeah. Well, it's not really. I actually got a job in L.A. because I needed to have health insurance. I, ha- like I have to have health insurance. Oh, right, like, right. I um run the risk of bankrupting my entire family, but if some sort of Weird thing happens where I need to have like surgery or something. Right. So I got a job from some friends from Florida State who had moved out here earlier, and they were eking it out. And they got a my friend Mark got a job at Fox as an editor for like web crap, and they somehow got me hired doing the viral <laughs> viral marketing job, hmm. which was like basically a non job. So I moved out here on January seventh and started work on the tenth. So I was here for like three days, and then I was working at that job. That's basically why I came here. Right. I mean, just for the job and not for— Because you needed health insurance yeah. because of your condition. I wanted to move to Chicago. I really badly wanted to live in Chicago to do comedy there, but I right. couldn't get a you job You wanted to do there. Second City. Oh, and, hell yeah. And, yeah. Like, every, like, like, like all my idols, I wanted to be at Second City. Yeah, but yeah. Couldn't get a job there, so I didn't move there. Yeah. Moved to L.A. Moved to L.A. And you kind of stumbled into— the scene here. Yeah. And I, this, was, this was pre-UCB opening here? This was right before it opened, yeah. I okay. remember when, when it opened, I was so excited because I loved that show. Right. I the show was people, the show. I think the show was really, really good. Oh, man. I, I remember when fucking I, weird. I have it on DVD, too. It's so weird. When I first saw that show, I remember being like, oh, wow. Holy shit. Someone else thinks this is funny and they put it on TV? Like, it was such, some of the stuff was so fucking weird. I'm well, like, because it was also like... In the vein of Mr. Show, and there was no Mr. Show. Right. It was like Mr. Show was over. Mm-hmm. Th- that was as much as it got. But to me, it was even better than Mr. Show because it was more like Gonzo. Like, we're crazy. We're fucking crazy. We don't know what's going to happen. Like, just because the, the kind of characters they do, instead of, I like Mr. Show a lot, but I feel like Mr. Show is more like um, they break the fourth wall more. Yeah, well, because I, it had the, they right. had the live audience, and, they, and then right. Bob and David would come out and do that. That opening bit, right? But with that UCB, turned into show exactly. With but UCB, I felt like it was more like a thing where those guys are, they're like, because they do the you do the prank videos, which I love. I love like doing like prank oh, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, stuff. on the street, I that kind of stuff. That. That's my favorite kind of thing. And like, I love how they just they tie, of course they, they tied them together. They heralded yeah. the show. The show was a herald. So that yeah, that to me was just I I remember just watching it like religiously and being on the message boards and stuff and just because that that was right when I was have uh, recuperating from surgery. They had to have two surgeries, so it's like a thing where you have to. I'm sitting around for ten weeks with a colostomy bag in Rochester, Minnesota. Jesus, and I had nothing to do but, um, but uh, you know, listen to house music and post on the UCB message boards about 
building a trebuchet to launch colostomy bags into the police commissioner's backyard kind of thing. Oh, my God. So The Tate brothers are coming the to The Tate brothers, yeah. I haven't thought about the Tate brothers in a while. Oh, God, that shit just kills me. Like, I can't even handle it. It's too good. Just too I still, I, and I think a lot of those, those, those sketches were so, that's why I say, like, with Mr. Show, where it's just like, there's, there's things that were done in those sketches that I, that I still have. Yeah. That, like, they're as, to me, as profound as stand-up, where I quote the stand-up, yeah. and it, because it, 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 there's some kernel of life or some interesting thing in it. Bucket and of I truth. felt like, the bucket of truth, my, one of my favorite sketches was <laughs> the, um, the ass pennies. Ass pennies. The ass pennies is uh, just the weirdest fucking thing. And the way, like, the way the I remember mat- thinking, I'm going to do that. I remember yeah. thinking, oh, it yeah. makes so much sense. Stick pennies in your ass and you put them in the circulation. And then I have, I'm just like, you're, you're handling things that have been in my ass. Yeah. It's just the fucking most amazing idea. It's like, it's sort of like, it's like a Dada kind of thing. Or something about it was just so. Philosophical and esoteric. And I think that Mr. Show was a little bit more literal. Yeah. I think. But. Those guys just didn't give UCB a fuck. UCB was just fucking, it was like this craziness. They're like, uh, they're like lunatics who didn't give a fuck about anything, sort of. That's why I felt. There's something where we're just, we're, we're fucking naked and dirty and don't really care. I don't know. It's something just kind of, where I felt Plus, it was kind of, gon- it's kind of punk, kind of gonzo. You know? I had never seen, there wasn't a sketch show, I think. Right. That was just film that wasn't in front of a live audience since the Ben Stiller show. Right. That's been and a long I think, time. And Ben Stiller, which I have on DVD. That show was ahead of its fucking time. It totally was. It was and great performers, though. It was incredible. And the yeah. writing staff, fuck you. I mean, Posehn and Pat Oswalt and David right. Gould, Judd Apatow, they all fucking left that and went and did, you know, Crazy Judd Apatow stuff. went to Gary Shandling, and then they went, and then Bob and David went and did Mr. Show, which is right. like fucking incredible. So I always felt like UCB was, I was like, oh, this looks like what the Ben Stiller show could have been. Right. I remember thinking that when it, when it, when it came on. Anyway, so you... We're here. You were doing right this job, and yeah. when it opened, you were like, "Yeah, another place to belong, baby." Totally. Yeah. Oh, I lived there, man. I used to live there. I spent so much time there. I loved it. I mean, I kind of, I kind of fell out of it a little bit when I started doing stand up and not as much sketch and improv. Right. But I, um, I just, how did you? And how did you get into stand up? I just started doing it because I've always wanted to do stand up. It was something where I always thought I would always be writing stuff down, like writing jokes down. This is like, well, before I started doing comedy, I would be, I'd have a notebook. And write stuff down I thought was funny. I don't know why. I just did it because I thought it was, I wanted to remember these things that I thought were really funny that I thought of when I was high with my friends, you know? Right, like right. It just because it's like, it just kills you how funny shit is. Like the, the wicked gazelle. Like a like a ceramic, a giant ceramic gazelle that hangs in a tree and it swings by and it goes, <laughs> it makes like a crazy whistling sound and it's like a lawn. Like that's something that my friend Steve and I thought of at his kitchen table 20 years ago while stoned. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like that kind of thing. You write down Wicked Gazelle because you want to do something. Wanna, I don't know. It's like, that's the thing. Is if I was in a band, right, forever. And if you're in a band, that's all you fucking do is joke. Is all you just get high right, right. and make fun of everything in the universe. You just like come up with these dumb inside jokes that get repeated constantly and no one knows what you're talking about, but you're laughing your ass off because you're, you're with these people constantly playing music. And so it's a thing where. You're just you're joking around. You're fucking around all the time. And then you started thinking about how can I make these inside jokes outside. Basically, jokes. yeah. But I I didn't ever even think about it because I didn't think you could. I thought like like I said, I thought I just didn't think you could do comedy like actually do it because there's no school for it. Where the kind of was, but not not in the well, sense the that the school is just fucking doing it. Yeah. I mean, with improv and sketch, there's usually a school, right. literally a school you can go to. But with stand up, 
you go to stand-up school, people right. are like, what the fuck? You went to stand-up exactly. school? So I started doing stand-up because uh, a lady I worked with was friends with Peter Sprite, who's an amazing comedian. And he kind of he put me up at the belly room and um, helped me kind of like condense my jokes so they weren't just rambling stuff. And uh, it went really well. The I belly just, room at the comedy store? Yeah. It's the first time I did a comedy. Huh. Well, the first time I did real comedy for real, you know what I mean? Like stand-up? Yeah. Okay. I did a couple times before then, but I feel like it was in living rooms and stuff where it was like like weird. What, little, like for your friends? Sort of. Uh, in in Florida, a guy I knew set up a comedy show in his living room with like a little little PV amp and a mic and and uh, like a like a desk lamp turned <laughs> upward and had some couches set up. It was just you know trashy indie Florida crap, and it was like twenty people there all drinking beer and eating donuts, and uh, a couple people would go up there and. Just talk and so it was, it was like a stand-up show. I did that. Did it was that, a talking to a microphone show. Yeah, I did it twice. Okay, and so that was that was basically the first time I ever did stand-up. But and man, I think it's kind of gray though because doing radio stuff is like stand-up. Well, it's, it's similar. You're doing it's still all doing bits. Yeah, and still figuring out ways to make something that you thought was funny in your brain right. make sense to someone that's not in your brain. Exactly, and I think that. The more I did it, then it just became something where I really enjoyed it. And especially after that first time at the belly room, when I had a really good experience, I was like, oh, this is fucking awesome. Because the thing with sketch and improv is great, but you depend on a lot of other people. And sometimes yes, you just yes. you get, you grow weary depending on other people and having because to Because everyone has that. their own schedules. Right. And like I tried to uh, – when I moved from uh, Boston to New York, there were a lot of guys and gals mm-hmm. in this improv troupe that I had in college right. that we were trying to start a troop in New York. But I thought it's so difficult. I thought that there was really there wasn't really a point to it because because there already was the UCB yeah. and there already was the pit. Right. The, the magnet pit, the wasn't great, man. open yet. The pit is very The pit I feel like had just opened or something. It was like it was around the beginning of the pit. That's in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah, all the all my friends from New York, a lot of them at least, came out of the pit. It seems like it's a great I've never even been there, but I hear well, it was like, like a breakoff. I mean, the yeah, Kurt Braunohler and um, yeah. Ellie Kemper and uh, Krista Shaw, Landis, and yeah. Christian Shaw, Eugene Cordero. No, maybe Eugene Cordero was a UC, more of a UCB than he was the Pit. I mean, I've been to New York a handful of times, so I don't even. Yeah, know. Grace Helbig, like a lot. Right. Of, oh, yeah. Grace. Yeah, Grace and Scotty. Exactly. Oh, you said Scott. Did you say Grace Scotty and Scotty? Landis? You know Scotty Landis? I kind of know him. He's more on the writing side of things, but he's but he's a Pit guy. I think so. That's how he met Kurt. He's a, he's one of my good friends. He uh, Scotty was the head writer for Mega Drive, my TV show on MTV, and we hired Scotty based on his pa- submission like instantly because it was like this is the funniest thing I've ever read, hmm. and it was a submission that he just busted. That guy is it's one of the few people I've ever met who is a natural writer. Like he just he's so prolific at writing. It's ridiculous. The guy is just fuck that guy. Anyway. He just has like a he's got a gift for it. Man. He's so great. But yeah, I mean, the pit was started by people who broke off the UCB. I think it was Ali Farinaki okay. and Armando Diaz. Okay, the Ar- that's where the the Armando comes the from. The Armando yeah. people don't even know that's a guy. I think I knew that. I don't know. I, like Harold isn't know. a guy. It's just a name, right? That's some. That's like the Beatles. Haircut, I think Del right? Close let his class name it, and they're like Harold, and he's like, yeah. oh fuck. I guess that's what it's gonna be called. Okay, guys, take some acid and come back to me in sixteen hours with exactly. the name of something. But Ali. And Armando started the pit. Okay. And then Armando broke off and started the magnet. Okay. Didn't know. Now you know. Well, All you I were here is, in L.A. Yeah. Going to the UCB and shit. Yep. Doing the belly room, making some belly laughs. Some belly laughs. Yeah. Some chuckles. Some 
Well, let's tie all this together, I guess. Okay. So, in a sense, you you so you talk about how is it that you maintain your relevance as well? Yeah. And maintain like being being in a place with people, right? And how do you fit in and continue to fit in? Is that what it was? Something I guess like that? so. Yeah. I mean, I've always just kind of felt. Um, maybe it's why I do comedy, I guess. But I always, it's like it's a bad thing to think. But it's a lot of times I think I feel. You know, there's like sort of like a Napoleon complex I have, I think, to some extent. Because, what do you mean? Well, because I look really young, you know? I look right. younger People than don't I am. Know how old you are, right? So I think a lot of times, I think it's, it goes both ways. It's also me thinking that someone thinks something when I don't have any real reason to think that they're judging me like or talking down to me or treating me as though I'm a, a young, stupid person. But that definitely happens a lot where people talk talk to me in a way I'm like, Oh, you're talking to me like I'm a 16 year old kid who doesn't know anything about music. Like, I have that happen to me a lot with like in record stores and stuff. And, um, yeah, where it's like I have, I feel like I have to prove myself. And, it, mm. and sometimes because a lot of times people, I just think in general that a, people tend to take someone at face value way too readily, you know, make like a judgment of them meet like who they are what they like what they're interested in when really they have no fucking clue at all what someone what someone is interested in or what they, what they know about from looking at them you know right right so like if i go to some place like if i talk to some like older black jazz musician probably right away he's gonna think i don't know shit about anything you know right and that's not really his fault because people are kind of conditioned to you people you know you always say don't judge but every you have to judge if you don't make judgments constantly all the time then you're like in you're like in another world where you can't make any sort of um assertions about anything which well, is, people can break your yeah, assertions right but it's right. just like i would assume an older black jazz musician right constantly has people who don't know anything about anything exactly being like what's jazz so been, jazz for me right they've been like, re- oh, it's been reinforced Christ, so right yeah, I just I like I like any chance you can get, I like any chance to get to where I can break a stereotype or meeting someone else who breaks a stereotype. As far as like you like things. to blow people's minds. Yeah, and have I think your mind blown. I totally do, and I think it's great when people when other people are as well when they're like, oh, I did not expect this from this person at all, and that's like the greatest thing ever. Right, right. Is is um, breaking people's expectations or? I think that's also one of the first things I thought about you the first time I saw you do stand up perform. It was just like, I don't. I think I saw you at the back of the room, and I feel like you were <laughs> wearing like this this hat that was like from a '90s R and B video. Really? Like you were wearing this like this hat that was kind of like tie dyed. Oh, was it? I feel like I remember you were you look. I remember seeing you and looking, thinking that you had jumped jumped out of like a Color Me Bad video. <laughs> Man, I don't know what I was wearing. That's and weird. I was like, who is this guy? And you were on the the show. What show was it? I don't even remember. I don't remember. I want to say it was French Toast, like a text or something. It could have been. But I don't remember. I don't think it was. Uh. But you were, I just, I remember seeing you and having a bunch of assumptions about you and thinking, I wonder what he actually is like. Cool. And thinking like, who is that guy? Why is he dressed that way? Oh, he's going up. Pemberton. What a cool name. <laughs> Pemberton. I like saying the word. Yeah. And then you went up and you like blew my mind. I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? Well, I think that's great, though. I love it when people, because you can't help but assume something about someone. So I, I love it when people make an assumption and I get a chance to, when I get a chance to um, show otherwise. 
But a lot of times you don't get a chance to to prove yourself otherwise. And that's what's great about comedy is I feel like that's why I love it so much is that you get a chance to to show someone um, who you really are, or show, show show someone something that you wouldn't in like a normal conversation or something. So you you get a chance. I get a chance to show someone who I am without um, looking like a crazy person. Looking you know like too mean? much of a crazy person. Yeah. As I always think of like uh, uh, flight attendants are like the most judgmental people. Those are the people I'm always like, I feel like I can, I can never possibly impress on a flight attendant who I actually am because I don't like to talk really loud, but you have to talk a lot in an airplane. You know, you have to be like super it's loud. it's a fucking airplane. Yeah. It's a gigantic airplane so engine. So I hate that. I'm always like say like, oh, I have a Coke. Like, what would you like? I have a, a Coke. I just don't, don't want to say. And then they think that you're 15. Yeah, I think I'm from 15 year old. <laughs> He's never flown on a plane like before. It's like, I'll have a, I'll have a Heineken. A what? It's like, I'll have a, a Heineken. He's like, ah, that's funny. What do you want? Like, no, I'll, I would, I like a beer. And they're like, okay, let me yeah, see your ID. And exactly. Like, they're like, oh, is this real? So there's like this whole other thing. Yeah. So I just, that's like the kind of thing. That's like a, a good example of the microcosm of that kind of <laughs> bullshit interaction. Flight attendants are your worst enemy. They are. They're your kryptonite. Because I can't do stand-up for them. I can't be like, no, no, look, uh, I'm an accomplished stand-up comedian. I, I do stuff. I'm not just a quiet guy in a plane who wants to order a drink or doesn't <laughs> want to order a drink. I just want some water without ice. Oh, you gave it to me with ice. I said no ice. I fit, I constantly. I fit in. I just want no ice. Huh. I have the gravitas to order without ice. <laughs> But you will not respect me because you're respecting this older gentleman with a salt and pepper beard and you're listening very attentively to what he says and he, what, you got his order right. I just want a water without ice. Have you done this on stage? Um, no. That's good. Okay. That's good shit. Write but really down. though, water without ice. <laughs> Why are we – the ice is a given. I hate that. Why does ice always have to be in the water? Because people a. want cold water, but I why? I, why do you want cold water? I don't. I. I mean, it's did you just to come out of the desert? It's better to drink at room temperature. Yes, all the time. It's anyway. easier to drink it. Everything about water it is better. Water existed before ice. Ice create. It need, you need energy to create ice. So by default, icing people, you're just wasting so much fucking energy. I just said water existed before ice. I don't know if that's true. It. Ice might have been first. I don't know. Ice might have been first. That's that's a t- you know what? That's one of those th- questions where to ask it is to to. Open up a Pandora's box of scientific bullshittery. A tisca- a t- scientific <laughs> bullshittery. Where is that class at we UCLA? We need less ice. Welcome to Scientific Bullshittery 401. Everything you know about science is going to help you bullshit. It's going to fly out the back door, a.k.a. your ass. Well, Pimby, um, good yeah. talk. Good talk. Great talk. Um, I don't know how much we stayed on subject, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's like a, it's like a what do you call it? It's like a, a path, maybe. So you, so you can see things along the path, not necessarily talk about the path itself. That's very true, yeah. and that's what we did, and uh, we will do it again soon. Great. Boom. Cheers. Che- cheers. Cheers. But seriously, water without ice. You should have to order ice. You should say, you should have to order the ice. If you order water and it comes without ice, you, should be, you shouldn't be uh, feel weird at all. You should be like, oh, I forgot to order ice because I like ice because I like extra energy expended at my behest. Fuck your eyes. Guys, again, I encourage you to listen to other podcasts on the All Things Comedy Network. Shout out to Well Done the composer responsible for the music I'm currently talking over and the music that started this podcast 
Check out Well Done, W-E-L-L, next word, D-U-N. Well done. If you are in Los Angeles and you want to see me live, uh, I encourage you to come to Big Money every single Thursday night over at the Virgil, which is on Virgil and Santa Monica in Los Angeles. Um, Also, I would encourage you to come out to a show on Tuesday, the 27th of August at the M Bar. It is a charity show I'm doing uh, for an organization called Limitless. We are Limitless, and the show is called Laughs for Limitless. It's going to feature myself, Jackie Cation, uh, Jonah Ray, and Ron Funches, all three of which have been guests on this podcast. What? Ron Funches wasn't a guest. Well, he will be, bitches. Well, he, we've recorded a thing, and you're going to like it. All right. I'd put it up next week if I could figure out this damn twice-a-week thing. I hate you, Steve Jobs. Anyway, uh, yes, come to that uh, Tuesday the 27th at the M Bar. Um, we are raising money for a uh, fantastic charity that uh, helps children in the country of Africa uh, get some education in. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly what country in specific it is, um, but trust me, <laughs> trust me, there are children that will get an education or uh, get help to getting education, the things that they need to get an education, books, supplies, a school, stuff like that. Um, that's what we're raising money for. Anyways, old Dazel, Hazel, Fazel, Dazel, Hazel, Shazel, Mazel, Gazel, Wazel, Dazel, Nazel, Nazel, Fazel, Fazel, Mazel, Kazel, Shazel, Blazel, the Nazel, the Dazel, Gopal, the Blazel, the Blazel, baby, the well, Razel, my Razels. That's the end. I'll talk to you. And you hear me. Wow, wow, wow.